Welcome back. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT and the D show. I am your host, Bob Waltonspiel, hanging out with pro, uh, producer, co-host. I was going to say it all, pro host. It's a, that's your new title, Randy. I'll take it. Randy Walker. There we go. <laughs> Guest this week, Matt Rudder. He's a sales guy at AWS. He's an author of the book From Clicks to Clients. He's a writer of a weekly seller newsletter, and he's the owner of the Rockability Retreat. We're going to have a ton to talk about. Matt Rudder is in the house. You can find us online, itinthed.com. Do us a favor. Give us a like on the socials. Subscribe to us everywhere. Find podcasts. Our soul. Don't forget our meetups going on for the next least couple months. We're going to be at the Eastern Palace Club out in Hazel Park. Um, third Thursday, check us out, meetup.com slash IT and the D. No speakers, no um, idiots, just a bunch of IT folks hanging out, drinking tiki drinks and having a good time. It's gonna. This one's going to be on the, the 15th of February, day after Valentine's Day, so no excuses to all you nerds that uh, might have dates on the Valentine's Day. Uh, the this is the day after, so you should be good. Randy, how are you feeling after this Lions loss? I know you're heartbroken. I had the game on, but every time I heard something interesting, I looked up and it was already at the commercial, so I wasn't really paying attention. Today was the first morning that I watched Food Network instead of having ESPN on because I do not want to hear it. I do not want to <laughs> see it. Closest I've gotten in my life in the Lions. Yeah. They broke, they rip. I know you don't care, Max. You're out of state, but uh, for, the, for the Lions to win anything is you know is uh is like jesus walking on water it just doesn't happen only but once in your life to go oh and 16 a couple years ago and then you get this i mean yeah that's a nice cinderella story no it was it was it was a fun season everybody was like we're playing with house money i don't care if we lose no i care i care if we lose um so matt uh how are they treating you? you doing all right yeah things are good things are good thanks for having me guys appreciate it yeah so i mean I always, um, I always thought working for Cisco was the eight hundred pound gorilla, but I think you got me beat working for AWS. What's uh, what's a, what's a day in the life uh, navigating inside the, uh, the? I guess the world was. Is it the biggest IT company? I think it's pretty close in the world. It's got to be up there. Somehow I keep like falling up into these larger companies. Like I, when I started my IT career uh, in sales, I was working for EMC, which I thought was like the epitome of like infrastructure storage and i was like oh this is cool and then uh you know just kept falling upwards somehow and now at aws which somehow still makes no sense to me but it's you know it's always changing internally right like it's a great builder culture i like to create things uh i also kind of like to break things and i like to get it really experimental a lot of other sales orgs it's you know micromanagement it's like what are your numbers what are your metrics and like while that's important you can also be like, I kind of have this crazy idea and you just have to get one person to buy in. And if they say, hey, this sounds interesting, try it, document it. If it works, great. We'll roll it out broad scale. If not, no big deal. Like, let's tweak it. So like you have this ability to create these things that take on this life of its own, like really grassroots, but could have this larger impact. And it's kind of refreshing when you do something like that, that becomes this larger thing. And you're like, wow, I really had a good idea there i I might have more of those (laughs) yeah no it's it's you're spot on but it's also crazy that just got me to thinking how the old saying of you don't quit your job you quit your manager and we all worked for these amazing companies and it's funny the companies are all great and it's it's amazing how they let some certain people and i i get it with like maybe maybe it was me or maybe it was a culture fit 
Um, but it's amazing how much uh, the person above you has to do with your your happiness within within some of these orgs. And I know you got blessed with a good boss, um, but you know th- there's a lot of people that aren't, and it's kind of a you know it, it's kind of a crazy world when we get you know blessed with these opportunities and then we get crushed because uh, someone's micromanaging you. Right? I've worked at some horrible cultures. But you kind of stick it out because they're like, this is the job I have now. I don't know what else I can do about it until I find something else. But like truly, like culturally, it is just it thri- like I thrive in that environment. It's, it is perfect for me <laughs> because I like to create. I have crazy ideas and I want to try to execute them. I just need someone to let me do it. And I feel like here I have the actual ability to do that type of thing, which I, sure. I don't think you find anywhere else. Like I hate using the expression building the plane as we're flying it, but sometimes that feels like what we're doing right like when you're it's IT, very experimental when you're, IT, <laughs> yeah. when you're in it two things inevitable it's change um which is yeah building the plane while you're flying it it's it's if you don't embrace change you, like literally i don't know why you should be in this business it's every three months two months one month these days it's pretty nuts when i was at emc i mean we would joke around we thought things changed a lot and this is 2007 2008 like kind of but not really but you know the joke was emc stood for everything must change just that's how much I kind of got conditioned to it. And then as I got older, I realized like having different managers throughout my career didn't actually really make a difference. Like it was very good to have a great manager, but right. I was just keeping my head down and doing my job most of the time. Like that was just an escalation point for me, really. But you, you slowly become comfortable with change and you embrace it. So like when these bigger things happen in organizations, like I've gone public to private, private to public, and then I've like shifted private equity hands at multiple companies. Like none of that rattles me just focused on the job and you learn to become really good in these ambiguous situations. It's, um, they always talk about, and I want to get your take on this. They talk about like people buy from people they like. And I, and I'm like, there's, there's, there's truth to it to a certain degree because I'm, I'll be, you know, me doing this networking thing and I'm pretty loud and I get out there, you know, there's, there's more than a couple of people that like me in town. There's a couple of people that hate me, but that we won't talk about them. Not no one's not a, no one's they're not all buying from me and there's a reason that you're you know your product I think it starts the conversation but unless you got something that saves them money or makes them more productive they could care less like how nice of a person you are what's your what's your take on that I think people, or do you, do you buy from people you downright hate just because you don't care <laughs> uh, as long as the product's good yeah could be right like I think people buy out of habit like we're all creatures of habit. The amount of time, so when I like came into the Cleveland market doing sales and I was working for Presidio, my whole job was to open net new customers. But like I didn't have any relationships or a book of business. Like I had to come in and like first A, establish a brand, who I was, like what I was about, kind of sell the whole vision of myself and Presidio. But at the same time, like you've got these companies that have been buying from these other resellers at the time or integrators for 10, 15 years, like, you know how it is in the Midwest, like it's relationship based. People buy out of habit because it's easy. People fear change. So I wouldn't necessarily say people buy from people they like. I think that's a starting point, but then I think people get lazy and they don't know what else is out there. Like I'm the type of person who gets new insurance quotes every year because I'm trying to find the best deal. Service is going to be the same, right? But like, I don't know, let me see what else is out there. Maybe there's some crazy insurance policy that I've never heard of that wraps everything together, right? I just don't think people do their due diligence. So like, I think that's how it maybe starts is people like, and they they hit it off and then it just becomes a habit. And then why change, right? Change is hard. 
See, I'm the guy, Matt, that paid for state overpaid for State Farm for 20 years <laughs> and then went online and I go, I'm paying what? Like, you know, yep. that type of thing. So talk about, you know, I, I scrutinize certain things, but other things I, I don't want to think about. And I think, yeah, with IT, it's the same thing. Like certain, give me my, you know, my commodities. Just, I don't, just long as the, the person answers the phone and it's easy. Like if I'm paying 10% more, I don't care. But that's transactional, um, right? Like that's, sure. that's not a value add. Like, so I came into the market, like I tried to be a disruptor. I tried to bring new ideas that people weren't necessarily thinking about. I tried to be a little bit industry specific. I tried to be solution specific with like, uh, this is, I'll date myself, but like 2015, 16 with flash storage and like on-prem infrastructure. Like I was trying to challenge people to think like, hey, why wouldn't you leverage this, right? Like why wouldn't you start moving backups to a cloud workload? People just don't think that way. And I think again, when it becomes transactional and it's out of habit, no one's being challenged to think differently. I think that's the problem. Is that's a good segue into what we're dealing with today because we got thrust right into it. We went from not talking about it and not doing anything to every sales call we go on is AI these days, Gen AI AI in some way, shape, or form. And it's funny the the clients. I I was on a call with uh, major auto CIO on down to the product owners. And the one guy who's the, you know, the honest one in the group basically looked at us and said, you're going to, I just don't want you to be like everyone else that's walked in before you. They try to pitch this AI crap. And then when we say yes, they go, oh, and oh, by the way, you need to buy these seven different things because your systems aren't ready for it. And we kind of laughed and we're like, eh, let, you know, let, we got to see what's, you know, what your systems are. But like everyone's selling it differently. And I don't, I don't think anyone knows what they're doing yet. There's certain, I mean, the, I'm not talking about the technical people deploying. I'm talking about the people pitching it. It's it's the wild west of Gen AI. It's hot. I think people yeah. have seen some of these use cases that oversimplify because it should be simple, Like, but it oversimplifies how real that could be for customers. But a lot of customers aren't mature enough to get there. I, I've used this example, Bob. You've probably heard this before. So sorry for hearing this for the hundredth time, but like, I want to talk about the cool stuff. I want to talk about the cool solutions around Gen AI and, and what it can do for our customers, but they're not there yet, right? Like we have to get them comfortable with going up in the air, five feet in a hot air balloon, but Gen AI is like trying to help them colonize Mars. Like it's just not happening, right? Like we, we need to get some comfort level of like easing into it instead of just full blown go for it. And I think everyone's selling scared on it because they don't want to be left behind, but it is still the wild west. Like there is going to be plenty of gen AI opportunities for everyone. But I think you have to think more customer centric on like, how do we get our customer comfortable with what that could look like, right? In a very simple way, as opposed to being like, hey, just run all these scripts through gen AI. And, you know, these Matt, we got a, I got a phone call saying, Right, right, exactly. I got a phone call, and basically it was a, a CIO. Basically said we got a our board says we need to move into Gen AI. What's that and mean? And then so we what's <laughs> what's that I said, what, I, Okay, I want I want car. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, but then we find out no cloud strategy, no CRM, no call center, um, data center with no offsite backup. And I'm like, we're looking at them going. What does your board want? Like, I don't mind. They want a higher valuation. That's it. Yeah, but it's, again, it goes back to, you know, we were just even like, what's your data quality strategy? And they're like, data what? We're like, oh, no. It's, like, it's the maturity. It hasn't caught up there yet. So, like, think about it. 
with like cloud when you'd have these conversations, I don't know, let's say in 2010 or 11, there's no cloud specialists. Like cloud had not really been around for that long, right? So you don't have the knowledge base and the skill set. And I think where that takes off is organizations that come in and help these companies with upskilling, right? Like helping their people understand what this means and how they prep for what that next phase looks like. I think that's truly the biggest gap. It's it's people knowledge. There's a few people who know how to do it, but we're not doing a good enough job of explaining to customers and helping them get to that next point. That's going to be the biggest hindrance and blocker, in my opinion, is people. Yeah. See, I was always a cloud cynic for one reason. When I broke into the business in 98, I know I'm an old man. Um, Took away from the networking. The- <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was, it was, we sold shared hosting. Yeah. It was, and what's the difference? You're a virtual private, you know, uh, instance on a, you know, when vir- that's when virtualization was just in its infancy. Yep. Yeah. It was a little bit, it was mid, mid stage, but regardless, when all of a sudden cloud came out, I go, Oh, some marketing person got a hold of that one. Yeah. Someone got a hold of a Rackspace deck and was like, Oh, let's just rebrand this cloud. Instead of calling it a colo facility, we call it right. cloud. Right. <laughs> oh, this one's private cloud. Ooh, that's fancy. Yeah. Um, I don't think Gen AI is not there. It's not in the cynic category because it, it really is doing things we could never, you know, it's, it's, it's gone past machine learning to this thing that we never envisioned things that were possible. So it's kind of, now it's, you know, we're selling art of the possible, but like yeah. at, at the end of the day, it comes down to brass tacks. Like, can you actually do this or are we just selling pipe dreams? Yeah, don't get me wrong. The technology is there. I think it's the adoption in getting customers to move on it. That's going to be the biggest hindrance, right? Because no one knows where to start and they're being bombarded with a variety of different messages on where to start. So it's like, well, if you put that on the customer, they're never going to decide. Right. Like I was when I worked in software as a service sales, I would ask customers, this was foolish. And then I figured it out. I'd be like, so when do you want to get started? Right. They can (laughs) sign up whenever the customer doesn't know. Then I just started saying, hey, do you think you could sign by next week and start on the following Monday? You accelerate the sales cycle faster. Like you have to lead them down a path. And I just don't know if we're doing a good enough job. But I think we're also there's a lot of noise that's happening right now, too. And it's causing confusion among our customers as well because everyone wants to talk about this the noise is obscene we just did um we did actually went to do a training session with one of your teams and uh as we're talking about things i we got you know yeah yeah and and i was oh yeah yeah what and they go did you actually do this (laughs) is this something that you're planning i would go this one we did this one's in poc stage this one we did and this one we did and i'm like okay good so i mean that's you know, that's where we're at now. It's like, you, we can talk about this stuff till the cows come up, but like, have you deployed a team yet? And are you actually doing this? That's the big, the, you know, the big question. Yeah. I think there's a great future for it. Just, it's going to be slow and steady, but everyone is just trying to be first in and it's just, it's creating a bottleneck. And I, I think the ones that will, the companies that will figure it out, the ones that help these customers adopt, and I'm not talking from a, a solutioning standpoint like an AWS or any of the other cloud providers that are offering similar solutions, right? But I think the ones that are really going to help are going to find those niche use cases. Like it's not enough to just find a niche, like you have to niche your niche and really find that use case. And that's what's going to get the most attention because if you go broad and you go on the things that everyone's are talking about, like conversational bots, 
right. or, or improving the customer experience. Like, trust me, I would love a better customer experience calling a company to try to cancel a subscription uh, or change a flight. But like, you yeah, got to niche yeah. it, niche it even further. Just prove something first. You just walk. That's how you sell, Randy. You just walk in and you go chat bots and then they sign POs for you. That's how it works these days. Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> um. So you did something, you know, if you talk to any sales guy, the first thing they all want to do is retire. Second thing they want to do is they want to become a sales consultant. Third thing they want to do is write a book. And uh, you actually did one of them. You you wrote a book uh, from clicks to clients. Um, you're, I mean, you're old school IT guy. You get it. What was uh, what was the uh, the inspiration for writing this book? And, and uh, let's get, let's kind of dive in on that. Well, I like that you called me old school because I feel like I just earned some stripes feel young if you say if you say 08 emc you know that's kind of that's old school in my world yeah that's fair that's fair um yeah i didn't write a book to retire because i don't think selling books gets you closer to retirement but i i think it was along those lines but i don't know throughout my whole career like i've i feel like i've always been coaching a lot of the other people around me or just sharing stuff i feel like i had a lot to say and i didn't really know what that avenue was and i'd always thought about like what if i just went and was an adjunct sales professor at a college like are there any sales classes like teaching coaching right like that's the kind of thing that i i thought about and i've been helping people like onboard i've shared you know scripts and call decks and proposals and like my whole sales process and i was like what was kind of that inflection point and i i thought back about it and did like a retrospective and it was really this infusion of marketing and sales together about personal branding. So I mentioned, you know, when I was working at Presidio, came into market in Cleveland, no relationships, but I hit my number all four years. I opened 24 net new customers like a Lincoln Electric, Eaton, Sherwin-Williams, Jones Day, AM Trust Financial, like a bunch of other ones. I'm not saying that to brag, but like I came in as a disruptor, but somehow I was That's successful. Yeah, I'm saying that like I feel like I had a process that was successful. So what I wanted to do is take that hybrid blend of, you know, branding and branding myself and what I was about and what I had learned at some of the software as a service companies I worked for that were in the MarTech space and try to put that to paper. Like, how can I help other people adopt social selling, as everyone calls it now, right? And like, what's the easiest framework? It's such an ambiguous term. Some people think social selling is just going on LinkedIn and sending out connection requests. It's more than that, right? Like, how do you become a thought leader? How do you elevate your status of being knowledgeable about other things that are happening in the industry, with your competitors, with customers or prospects you want to work with, or maybe even their competitors, right? Like, how do you build that authority? And by no means am I saying I was an authority, but I think I was pretty close on having a lot of intel and establishing that trust in those relationships much faster if I hadn't necessarily done that process. So it was more of my attempt to say, like, what has worked for me and how do I break this down that anyone, whether you're in sales or not, could apply this. You don't just have to be in tech sales. I think B2B is probably the most applicable, but like if you're a real estate agent, you could probably take a bunch of the principles from the book and probably still apply it. So that's my, this is my biggest issue with sales books and I, and I love them, but the, but people will take them and they won't make it their own and they'll go, here's the 10 steps. They'll do it. And it's not, it's unnatural and it comes out as bad. I'll give a prime example. And I've called him out in the past with Sandler sales training. Yeah. And I'll call people out that do it to me. And 
uh, it drives me out. Oh, it's if you don't know what Sandler sales training is, it's basically like playing hard to get as a girl in a bar going, you know, oh, no, I don't, which makes you more wanted. And that's supposed to work in B2B sales, which to me is one of the biggest goofy things. Oh, oh, that's for it. You know, do you ever see the Simpsons episode, The Monorail? Oh, yeah. Well, like classic. Oh, Conan O'Brien wrote it. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's Sandler sales training. Like, oh, this is more of a Shelbyville idea. And they're like, no, we want the monorail. <laughs> um, it doesn't work. Right. Um, my point in my rambling is that how do you get, or did you do you preface this saying, hey, take what I've learned, take what I've done, make it your own. Please don't follow this as a formula because you got to make it you. Yeah, it's very much a playbook or a guidebook, but you kind of have to go on that journey on your own. So I, I first set up everything with like, what are digital channels? How do you use digital channels? Why are they important to sales? Why is thought leadership important? And then I start to get into the basics. And at the end of every single chapter, I have an exercise that someone should follow. It's either a set of questions or things that they should do to follow and do this on their own. So I wanted to make it very actionable. but And I give a couple examples of like, here's what I mean of something you could send to someone. Right. Um, or here's how you could set up, you know, this um, RSS feed so you can stay up to date on what's happening with you know your prospects or clients or blogs or like go sign up for an account with, you know, LinkedIn Sales Navigator and it's 65 bucks just expensive. Most sales orders will let you do that. Like I give the idea of how to do it. I'm not saying you should like find out what works for you and your model, but I provide them the steps to say, like, this is how I would have done it and did it. And these are the things that you could do as well, but figure out what works for you. And I I call that out really specifically, right? Because I I wrote the book a little bit more broad in it. I'm probably someone who should have niched it down even further to B2B sales, but I I wanted to keep it broad and open. And I kind of wanted to capture a wider net and I, I might tailor it down in the future, but like with B2B, your best bet is LinkedIn. Like that's how you're going to connect with your prospects, right? Those CTOs, CIOs, VPs, director levels. Sure. But if you're in real estate, like you probably want to be using uh, Instagram or TikTok and doing walkthroughs and showing new properties and videos, or maybe even have a YouTube channel. Like those are the channels that are going to work. So like I give some ideas on like, yes, this isn't one size fits all. Don't use all of these, but figure out what is going to work best for the way that you're trying to sell. Matt, have you ever messed around with Crystal on LinkedIn? Not on LinkedIn. Is that the one that gives you the personas? Uh, it does yes. like, yeah, I did a, lo- a long time ago, like 2015, 16. I did one on me and it said, it's funny because I get reached out to from time to time because I list myself as a founder of the the networking organization, which is probably a dumb idea because then I get spammed a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's like, don't give him sales pitches or don't invite him to lunch and use be very quick and succinct. And I'm like, damn it. Like they know, you know, cause it's a Chrome plugin and I'm, I'm beholden to my digital overlords, Google. So they know everything about me. Um, so I'm going to, I'm signing into crystal right now and I'm, uh, I'm going to look you up, see if this works fast enough. I'm totally, uh, doing this on the fly. Um, actually it's not going to sign me in quick. Um, but it'll basically, it's, it's two. Yeah. Oh, it's showing me. Um, it's absolutely, it's ridiculous how much stuff they know about you. And they take it from writing samples. And so it'll give you, 
Yeah, exactly. It'll give you an email. Um, what's how to how to write to you? Now, here's where I think it's going to get tricky, and I think to, and so I I knew about Crystal. I kind of wanted to put it in the book, but I didn't want people to over-index, right? I wanted this to be a, a one, two, three, make it easy. How to start social selling? That could be like a you know a version two, right? But I think where this is going to get tricky is as we just talked about artificial intelligence. A lot of people are using artificial intelligence to write things for them. So I think that tone of how people write and scanning a LinkedIn profile for their experience, you're going to start getting some false positives on there. And I think it, the value of that, uh, unless someone is doing one of those legit disk tests or any of the other ones that are out there and they're pulling from that data, but just writing samples, I think are going to start to get slightly skewed and I wouldn't rely as heavily on the data, but I do love that kind of data. I used so what did, uh, did you ever do a disk profile as a sales guy? I did. What are you? Uh, I am a C D. So, all right. So Crystal's telling me you're a driver. You're a D. Okay. Well, I'm in sales. So, and how to, and how to communicate with you use an energetic, assertive tone. A lot of this is like uh horoscopes too. It's a little generic. <laughs> um, speak with high energy and a- answer questions directly. Don't be overly friendly. Be assertive and push back when you need to. Don't give in-depth product descriptions without explaining bottom line impact. I mean, again, it's like astrology. You can go like, oh my God, it's me. But for me, it was like, it was spot on. I think I'd want to be talked to like that. I maybe have a couple couple tweaks to it, but I, I don't know. Sometimes I just want to get straight to the point. It, yeah, so I got you. All right. <laughs> I'd say a little bit. Fair. I'm high energy. And then, uh, so I'm sure they were like, well, if this guy's high energy, match his energy. Right, exactly. Fold your arms when he folds his arms. I always hated that one. Oh, I always hated that one. That's classic. Randy, you don't know about this? That's a little too much. So when I'm sitting across from you at a table and you go lean back and put your leg up, I'm supposed to lean back and put my leg up. If you take a drink of water, I'm supposed to take a drink of water. It's very, it's garbage. It's it's very weird. Yeah, it's very weird. That's too much. I have a whole book on it. it? No, there's one book, but this is uh, Teach Yourself Neuro Linguistics Programming. Uh, It's a a psychology book. See, the problem with this is if you're ever on the other side of the table and you know about this stuff and you're like, you can call like immediately, are you sandlering me? I've done that to people in the past. Like, are you, whatever that three letter acronym is, are you, are you matching my, like, why do you keep drinking when I'm drinking? So you're, that's good for you because you're really in tune to it. I, however, am working on my emotional intelligence of reading other people better. In a sales setting, I can, but I wouldn't pick up on subtle cues like that. Like, I catch some body cues, but I wouldn't actually catch that someone's mirroring me unless it's, like, actually in sync at the same time. See, I've always, that's been my superpowers reading people, but I have a horrible poker face, so it's, I'm in constant <laughs> contradictions. <laughs> like, I, I tip my hat very easily with my facial expressions. Um it's horrible, horrible trait that I have. It's the, <laughs> I wish it, I wish it would go away. This is why, why we probably get along is because I know exactly what you're thinking. You, I can't. I'm not hiding anything. Yeah, <laughs> very. Why, why haven't we ever played poker, Bob? Because <laughs> I lose my ass. That's why. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I've always like again another thing you're doing that I always talked about, but I did it once and it drove me nuts was the, this whole rental thing. And you built this super cool property in Memphis, and you actually you named it. So you went total like Graceland, but you called it the Rockabilly Retreat. Talk to me about that. I think I'm totally intrigued by that. 
yeah, we had dabbled into real estate before and we were kind of looking for another project. Um, and my wife and I really like to get creative. So we went really hard on the branding of it. We fell in love with Memphis when we went to visit. We wanted to use it, but we were like, how do we make this a curated stay? And I think that was really kind of our brand with it. And we both work from home. So that's the beauty of this is we can do our job anywhere. So let's take advantage of it. I'm trying to live a more location independent lifestyle. Um, yes, if I have to hop on a plane and be somewhere, I can can do it. But like we just went full, you know, old school blues, rock and roll. You know, you've got some old busted speakers when you're walking in, floor speakers, some guitars that are hanging up. We have this huge gallery nice. wall of mostly Elvis and then some Johnny Cash in there, Otis Redding, some nods to Stax, this huge B.B. King poster. So a really nice, you know, rock and roll mid-century feel. But like we enjoy using that as well. We, we typically try to go spend, you know, a month or two. But we've also really targeted it more towards the midterm rentals, traveling nurses, St. Jude's headquartered there, FedEx, so maybe some traveling execs. So we don't really want to have a lot of churn and burn, but we want people to take advantage of it. And when they come, we want them to have a good experience. I built out the whole LinkedIn page with some of our fun and top things to do. Some really cool pictures. So like I got to put some of my photography to use, but I created a link tree. So like we have a Spotify playlist of all Memphis-based artists. So when you're there, you just click the link and it pops right up. We've got a Google map that you can download of all of our favorite places and restaurants. We, we really wanted to make it a, a really nice stay. We also have a vinyl player in there. So we advertise bring your own vinyl. So if you want to go buy one and play it in there, we've got that for you too. So we took a lot yeah, of care and attention to it. Unless you're in Orlando and you get one of those like kid-friendly Nickelodeon places, there's not too many places like adult with like that actually has a personality. Yeah. Totally cool. I love it. We've stayed in our fair share of janky Airbnbs and we were like, we don't want that. We want this to be cool, but we want people to respect yeah. it because it's cool. And if they're there for a month, you know, we're targeting that remote work from anywhere crowd, right? Like go live in Memphis. For sure. Have some great Southern sure. food, listen to some great music, go to Beale Street. It's a win-win. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Cool. Well, hey, appreciate the time, Matt Ryder. We'll put all your links to everything and uh, to the book and the uh, newsletter and the the, the rockability retreat in the in the show notes. Um, can't thank you enough for your time. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you. Uh, t- talk to you soon, obviously, because we work, you know, alongside each other. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Sounds good. <laughs> hey, on behalf of uh, Bob and Randy, do us all a favor: drink up your drinks, get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.